The pandemic has had a tremendous impact on sleep, insomnia, and anxiety. If you are suffering from sleep issues like half the world is, our sponsor, Real Sleep, has developed the world's first personalized sleep solution, customized to you. Unlike prescription over-the-counter sleep aids, their plant-based formula works with your body to get you to sleep faster, help you sleep deeper, and cut down on sleep disturbances. I know I'm probably not alone in this. My sleep definitely has changed with working from home. I tried several things, melatonin gummies, which give me weird nightmares, Benadryl, which doesn't last very long, and I'm up in like two hours, or a hypnosis YouTube. Nothing really seems to be consistent enough. While sleep is solitary, you are not alone, and Real Sleep is here to help. That's why we're teaming up with Real Sleep to give you 20% off your next purchase. Go to the link on our show notes and use the code P-O-D to see why Real Sleep is the last sleep product you'll ever need. The Oracle Network. Hello and welcome to Ye Old Crime where we discuss the funny, strange, and obscure crimes of yesteryear. I'm your host, Lindsay Valenti, and with me is my sister and co-host, Maddie Stengel. Hello. Hi. How's it going? It's going. Yeah? Hump day? Hump day. Hump day? Yeah, we're actually recording on a Wednesday today. I know. It feels very meta since our episodes come out on Wednesday. It does. I mean, it's fine, but it's also weird. Yeah. I mean, part of the reason why we're doing it is because we've actually managed to be ahead for the Mm -hmm. first time ever. Since the very beginning, since like June. But it's also Mother's Day weekend. I want you to be able to celebrate properly and not have to record and edit. (laughs) Yeah. On a day where you're allowed to do whatever you want. Anywho, (laughs) are you excited to hear about this week's topic? Yeah, I don't know what it is. So if you're new here, I am always kind of in the dark. And even during mock madness in March, I still forgot we were focusing on witches. And every week was surprised when we had something to do with (laughs) witches. So I kind of feel like Dory from Finding Nemo, but Mm -hmm. I am ready. What is our topic today? We are going to be talking about Swift Runner. For Brad of the Doomsday Podcast. Swift Runner. Swift Runner. It's either it sounds like a greyhound, like a racing greyhound, or a greyhound bus where there were a bunch of murders. <laughs> You're wrong on both counts. Dang, okay. But I am thrilled you have no idea what this is about because it's gonna be great. Ooh, okay. So information for this episode was pulled from the following sources. A 2021 Mysterious Universe article by Nick Redfern, 2019 Fort Sask Online article by Emma Philpott, 2019 Grunge article by Tom Meisfjord, a 2015 History Boots article by Lamarkowitz, a 2014 Executed Today article by Headsman, The Gods and Monsters (laughs) website, Knowledge Nuts website, Murderpedia, Native Languages website, 
And I don't necessarily want to read the title of my last source because it's going to spoil what it's about. I will just say I read research paper written by Nathaniel D. Carlson of the University of Alberta. But the title will be in the show notes. The title will be in the show notes, but I'm not going to read it because I don't want to spoil what this is about. It was a research paper? Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. They spoil everything in the title. It's usually like an abstract as a title. And links to all of these articles will be included in the show notes. Is this about a bear? Because of Canada? Today's episode is going to meld together aspects of fact and legends associated with the Cree Nation. Ooh. I hope you're excited to learn about Swift Runner and his connection to the Wittaku. Some sort of mythical beast mm-hmm. or being? Mm-hmm. Beast or more like a being? A being. Okay. Swift Runner, also known as Pakistakuchin, was a Plains Cree trapper who lived in what is now central Alberta, Canada, back in the late 19th century. Nice. So that was, that's the 1800s for people that don't understand how centuries work. Because I feel like sometimes if I don't list the year, people are confused. That's fair. So a trapper, he would probably be pretty well off. We'll get into it. Okay. As a young man, he'd received a standard Cree education and went on to marry a woman named Charlotte. Her age in the year is unknown with whom he had six children. Dang. Okay. Swift Runner was a big man standing at six feet, three inches tall. Which would have been really tall of that time, especially. He was mild-mannered and well-liked in the area where he lived north of Fort Edmonton. He's remembered as being a considerate husband to his wife and very fond Mm. of his children. I love how uh, they say fond, like that's enough. He liked them. It's fine. He loved his children very much, and it was very apparent how much he loved them. Yeah, that's good. (laughs) Due to all of his positive traits, he was welcomed warmly amongst his tribe and the traders of the Hudson's Bay Company. Uh, America also, we already don't like the Hudson Bay Company. Mm -hmm. With whom he conducted the bulk of his business. He also served as a guide for the Northwest Mounted Police starting in 1875. The NWMP was the foundation of what would one day become the Royal Canadian Mounted Police on February 1st, 1920. So all in all, super nice human being Mm -hmm. that was generally very pleasant and really helpful. So kind of the epitome of a gentle giant. Mm -hmm. Okay, so far so good. Good dude. Mm -hmm. His contact with the white man, as is so often the case, would unfortunately become his undoing. No, history didn't see that coming. No, I know. What? Completely out of left field. At that time, whiskey was being smuggled into the area under the guise of medicine, and he developed a liking to it after he was no longer able to hunt to provide for his family. Uh Uh-oh, what happened? Did they say? They didn't say, so I don't know if he got some sort of injury that didn't heal properly, and that's why he was no longer able to hunt. And I honestly couldn't find anywhere, like, when he was born, how old he was. Well, that's because he was indigenous. Yep. Doesn't matter. Yep. Ugh. Okay. He soon became a raging alcoholic. Yeah, especially if you don't know what that is or how harmful it is. Mm Mm-hmm. In fact, he was quoted as, quote, an ugly customer to meet when on a spree, end quote, and often called the terror of the whole region. Oh, that's so sad. So he went from like super helpful, wonderful, loved by all gentle giant to just absolutely ruined by the quote unquote 
medicine and becoming a raging alcoholic that can no longer contribute to society. Yep. Cool. Never heard that story before. Right. Never not once. It was noted that he was a mean and angry drunk, which cost him Mm -hmm. his position with the NWMP, who returned him to his tribe. Switchrunner also lost his place amongst his own people due to his violent tendencies where he, quote, turned the Creed camps into little hells, end quote. Oh, that's so sad. I bet that was would be pretty confusing for them, too. I don't know how much exposure to hard liquor they probably had at that time. Mm-hmm. Because of this, Swiftrunner packed up his family in the winter of 1878, which included his wife, Charlotte, their six children, his mother-in-law and his brother. And they settled in the forest near Tawatanaw by the Athabasca Landing Trading Post in north central Alberta. And his campsite was some 25 miles or about 40 kilometers from a Hudson's Bay company post. So okay. like an outpost. Okay. He wasn't seen again until the spring of 1879 in the city of St. Albert at the St. Albert Roman Catholic Mission, where he spoke with Father Hippolyte Ledeck. Swift Runner claimed that his entire family, including his mother-in-law and brother, had perished from starvation during the harsh and bitterly cold winter. We know from his inability to trap and trade in fur that it is entirely possible he was unable to hunt. Yeah. He stated that he was unable to find food after catching a few ducks, causing each member of his family to starve to death. But what about his brother or any of his children or even his wife? This didn't change the fact that Swift Runner himself looked quite well fed and healthy. Oh, no. Is this headed in a direction that I stereotypically don't want it to go to? Maybe. Are there long pigs involved? Maybe. I hate you. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no. Okay. Something wasn't adding up, especially considering that Swift Runner would wake up screaming at the top of his lungs in the middle of the night. The last straw for Father Leduc was when Swift Runner attempted to lead a group of children away from the mission and into the forest. Yeah. No. Yeah. Suspecting that something else was at work. Father Leduc contacted the police at Fort Saskatchewan, led by Inspector Sever Gagnon. A group of the NWMP arrested Swift Runner at the mission and set out to gather clues at his campsite with him leading the way. And what they found there was the stuff of nightmares. Awesome. The site was littered with the grisly remains of several people, bones entirely stripped of their meat, some even broken and missing the marrow after it had been sucked out. Oh my God. A pot full of human fat was near the dead campfire. They also found the skull of his mother-in-law that had a small unfinished moccasin jammed inside, the beading needle still attached to it. Oh, like jammed into the skull? Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. Swift Runner also led the mounted police to the site of a small grave that was near his camp. He told them of how his eldest son had died and been buried. After unearthing the remains, they found the body had been undisturbed. Okay, so it's likely that his son missed this massacre. Mm-hmm. Okay. Swift Runner confessed to murdering and eating his family, claiming that he had been possessed by a Witiku and compelled to kill and eat his relations. He explained that he had been plagued by horrible dreams that demanded he consume his family, and his first victim was his wife, Charlotte. Oh. After this, he claimed that the Witiku had also possessed one of his sons, forcing him to kill his younger brother. 
And this next one is a little rough. So trigger warning for people who have issues with infanticide. You're going to want to skip ahead 30 seconds. Okay. Swift Runner claimed that the Wittaku spirit demanded that the infant be strung up by the neck from a lodge pole with its dangling feet tugged to ensure its demise. Oh, okay. The next victim was that of his brother, followed shortly by his mother-in-law that he described as being, quote, a bit tough, end quote. In terms of eating? They didn't say. Oh. I'm assuming that's what it meant and not like she was a tough cookie to kill. I'm, I assumed it meant she was tough to eat. So I would also assume that this probably happened all in one day. I would assume so because I can't see him killing one person and everybody else being like, I'm okay with this. Or like, where did they go? Yeah. Especially if, in, if they're in like one cabin together in the middle of winter. Yeah, I don't even know if they had a cabin. I just know they were living in the forest. So I'm assuming they were living in like mm. a smaller structure of some sort. Yeah, maybe some sort of hut or like Make a shift thing. A yurt, maybe. Yeah. So in the Cree mythos, a Wittaku is the creature that is born of committing a truly heinous act, such as murdering a close loved one. This creature will possess the person, transforming them into a monster with the heart of ice and an almost insatiable hunger for human flesh. Weird. And how is it? It just like comes and goes and infects people when it wants? It infects people and then they in turn become a Wittaku. And it's also okay. been pronounced as like a Wendigo, things like oh, that. Oh, okay. So in fact, his actions while in custody were that of a madman. He'd howl, growl, and scream as if tormented by some unseen monster. Mm -hmm. Stories began to circulate claiming that locals had watched him transform into a savage-looking approximation of a monstrous human or a Wittaku. Some even said that he'd already had a taste for human flesh prior to leaving the Cree people and moving into the forest with his family. Oh, he might have killed somebody before and that might have triggered him leaving. Yeah, it made it sound like he had potentially killed and eaten somebody on a previous like hunting expedition. Okay. But there wasn't really specifics on when that took place. Okay. The grizzly remains were taken back to Fort Saskatchewan, and Swift Runner's trial started on August 8th, 1879. The judge, stipendiary magistrate Richardson, and the jury, which consisted of three English-speaking Cree half-breeds and four men who were, quote, well up in the Cree language, end quote, Half-breeds. Did they have to say it like that? Yeah. Gross. Okay. Sorry. Continue. That's all right. They didn't believe in the idea of a Wittaku spirit possessing Swift Runner and compelling him to commit the atrocious acts he did against his own kin. Okay. And a stipendiary magistrate is a professional British lawyer or a magistrate that acts in place of or in cooperation with unpaid justices of the peace. So since we're kind of out in the wilderness, he's acting in place of an official judge. Okay. A leading Cree English scholar of the day was brought in to oversee the trial as well as ensure that Swift Runner understood the proceedings and was getting a fair trial. He sat quietly as witnesses offered testimony that his family appeared healthy prior to moving into the campsite in the woods. Mm -hmm. Others confirmed seeing him leave the forest on his own with none of his family following him. No evidence was presented in his defense. When asked if he wanted to say anything, he simply replied, I did it. Oh, okay. 
So he didn't really care to put his side of the story because he already admitted it mm-hmm. to the police. The jury deliberated for 20 minutes before coming back with a verdict. Thus, stipendiary magistrate Richardson passed down the verdict of guilty and sentenced Swift Runner to be hanged. Okay. The only problem with this is that it was the first time in recorded history that a formal execution was conducted in Alberta, Canada. In fact, the NWMP were unclear on how to go about preparing for such an event. With help from the Hudson's Bay Company, who in another part of the country had once hanged one of their employees for committing murder, Staff Sergeant Fred Bagley, who was the bugler of the NWMP, went about making the arrangements for the erection of the gallows on behalf of the fort. Father Leduc was able to extract a full confession from Swift Runner prior to his hanging. When it came to the fate of his last child, he stated, quote, At that moment, the devil suddenly took possession of my soul, and in order to live longer far from people and to put out of the way the only witness to my crime, I seized my gun and killed the last of my children and ate him as I had done the others. Some weeks later, I was taken by the police, sentenced to death, and in three days, I am to be hanged, end quote. So it kind of makes... It's tough because you wonder if, if like, we don't know so much about what his injury was, if he had any sort of other mental issues aside from whatever he went through as when he was drunk. Like, it to me, I, I keep wanting to hear about a head injury. Yeah. Right. Because this sounds like somebody who whose personality changed after a head injury. Yeah. Awesome. Prior to his execution, sources say he converted to Catholicism, but I don't believe that's really true. Yeah. He's quoted as saying, quote, the white man has ruined me. I don't think their God could amount to much, end quote. Honestly, fair. Yeah. Especially if you've believed in kind of the spirits of the land and Mm -hmm. kind of everything they provide. It would be hard to be like, oh, yeah, there's just one. Mm -hmm. And he's white (laughs) and all this other stuff. Yep. Yeah. At 7.30 a.m. on December 20th, 1879, 60 people gathered at Fort Saskatchewan in the bitter cold and snow to witness history as Swift Runner became the first man to be officially hanged in Alberta. Due to their previous ties to him, none of the members of the NWMP were willing to assist in the hanging because he'd helped them as a guide oh, for, like yeah. four, for like four years. So an old army pensioner named Rogers acted as hangman to the sum of $50 which would be around $1,400 today. The hanging was delayed when the sheriff, Eduard Richard, who was to stand as witness on behalf of the NWMP, had been delayed by the snow. That's a bummer. The hanging itself had additional hiccups. Of course. 30 minutes prior to when the execution was set to take place, it was discovered that the crowd had taken the trap from the gallows to burn as kindling to combat the blistering cold. Not only that, but the hangman had forgotten the straps needed to bind Swift Runner's hands. Jeez, this really was their first rodeo. It was. (laughs) As Sheriff Richard and Hangman Rogers rushed to repair the scaffold, Swift Runner calmly sat near one of the fires, snacking on pemmican, which is a paste traditionally prepared by the First Nation people of Northern America, made of dried and pounded meat mixed with melted fat and other ingredients. So kind of like jerky of some sort. Yeah, kind of like a, a wet jerky. Ew. I'm imagining it's mixed with like maybe nuts and berries or something. So kind of like a... Ye old trail mix bar. Yeah. 
<laughs> he even had the thick noose loosely hanging about his neck as he ate. Yeah, he seems pretty resigned. Yeah. Of the hang-ups, Swift Runner commented, quote, I could kill myself with a tomahawk and save the hangman for their trouble, end quote. Dang. By 9.30 a.m., Swift Runner's execution was finally set to take place. He was allowed to finish eating the pemmican. He ate another pound of it. Jeez, talk about last meal. Right. Before his hands were tightly bound and he was led to the gallows. Upon scaling the scaffold, a black hood was placed over his head. As he stood over the trap door, Swift Runner was asked if he had any final words to say before his death. Mm -hmm. He openly proclaimed his guilt of the crimes and thanked his jailers for their kindness to him during his incarceration before chastising his guard for making him wait in the cold. <laughs> okay. Sorry, your last few moments on Earth were slightly inconvenienced. Exactly. The Daily Evening Mercury reported the following of the event. Quote, Just before the trap fell, Swift Runner said, I am no longer a man. And Swift Runner went down with fearful force, there being a drop of five feet. He died without a struggle. The body was cut down in an hour and buried in the snow outside the fort. End quote. Mm. In regards to the allegations of him being a Whittaku, Swift Runner exhibits the classic signs of someone suffering from Whittaku psychosis, which is a mental disorder that afflicts members of the Northern Algonquin people. Diagnosed in the early 1900s, people suffering from this psychosis are said to have experienced possession by a Whittaku, as well as suffer violent nightmares that create a compulsion to practice the act of cannibalism. Mm. This disorder is not to be confused with famine cannibalism, where people are forced to consume yeah. the flesh of the dead to stave off their own death from starvation in times of immense need. Yeah. There are many in the mental health community that dispute the idea of Wittaku psychosis. And in fact, of the many First Nation people that were diagnosed with this disorder in the late 19th and early 20th centuries, the case of Swift Runner is the only one that has been substantiated, although it is argued that all of the acts of cannibalism prior to the last one were acts of famine cannibalism. But there is no way we can know for sure if this was actually the case. Right. And that is the sad and troubling tale. Of Swift Runner. It was really sad. It was really sad. Super messed up. Way to go, Lindsay. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't pick it. Brad did. Thank Brad. Way to go, Brad. No, thank you. It was an. It was a very interesting story, albeit very, very dark. Mm -hmm. Being from Canada, he wanted a Canadian story, and he had sent me one that sounded really cool, but it was after the 1900s. Mm. So I was like, okay, here's the deal. <laughs> I found this one and then I found another one. Which one would you prefer? And he was like, they both sound amazing. Let's the coin. So you can thank Brad and then you can also thank the coin, the coin toss generator that I used online to pick <laughs> which case I was going to do. So nice. you can be mad at that one website that I went to. I'm so mad at that website. Don't sponsor us. How dare you? How dare you? Do you like blood loss and decapitations and debris poking through your skin? If you like your gods angry, your buildings collapsible, and your insects organized into living quilts, Doomsday is the podcast for you. Subscribe to rediscover some of the most traumatic, bizarre, and awe-inspiring but largely unheard of disasters from throughout human history and around the world. This first season, you'll hear about the worst groin injury in the recorded history of medical science. People compressed to the height of a business card... 
preheated to the temperature of the sun, electrocuted by coconuts, and phrases like, the plague of horror had been cleared away by the cleansing mercy of the volcano. This is not the podcast you play around your kids, or while eating, or even in mixed company, but as long as you find yourself a little more historically engaged and learn something that could potentially save your life, our work is done. All this and more on Doomsday, history's most dangerous podcast, a funeral kazoo production on the Anchor FM network. Find it wherever podcasts are found. So this week's podcast plug is the Doomsday podcast. I think I've talked to you about this one before. I love this podcast. Yeah, you've definitely talked about it before. If like not on air, definitely personally. Mm -hmm. Brad is amazing at what he does, telling a tale of a truly horrific disaster, both natural and man-made. But what is so unique about his show is that he also goes through what you can do to try and survive a disaster like that. Interesting. So he'll tell the story and be like, this is all the horrible things that happened. Now, here's how you could possibly survive it if you find yourself in a similar situation. Crazy. It's a really great show if you want to learn something really horrible, but also educational. Yeah. And it's produced by a company called Funeral Kazoo. That's just ridiculous and adorable at the same time. Yes. So if you are interested in learning more about this podcast, and I encourage you to check it out because, as I said, it is hilarious. We will include links to it in the show notes. Thanks. And this week's listener question comes from Emily of the Drink Drunk Dead slash Pineapple Pizza podcast. And she wants to know, have you ever had sleep paralysis or what is the craziest nightmare you've ever had? I can't remember a nightmare, so I'll just say yes, I have had sleep paralysis before. Can you go, in, can you go into more detail about it instead of just being like, yes, I did? <laughs> yes, the end. <laughs> it's, it's one of those things where like it's hard to reconcile if it actually happened to you or if it was part of a dream. But I remember we were living in our old house in Iowa and I was sleeping in... It wasn't super late, but I remember waking up and I felt like I went out of my body for a minute because I was watching something invisible run up the stairs, bound into my room and pounce on my chest. And I just felt really hot breathing on my face and I couldn't move. I couldn't scream. Like I could open my mouth and I was trying really hard to scream as as, hard, as loud as I could and I couldn't do anything. And then finally, after what felt like forever, I just screamed, get off me. And then it, it like I the presence was gone, mm-hmm. like whatever I felt. So I don't know if that was like a continuation of a dream I was already having or not, but it was really gross because I, I specifically remember the hot breath. I was surprised at how warm the feeling was because it was in, it was winter and it was actually pretty cool in my room. Mm-hmm. What about you? I can't remember a specific time where I've had sleep paralysis. I know I have, but I can't think of an example right now. One of the craziest nightmares I've ever had was at my current house. I can't remember the specifics of the dream, but obviously something not good was happening. I do remember right before waking up, there was this like demonic presence that got right in my face. And then I heard like very guttural garbled language like I don't know what it was but I felt I felt like someone was actually talking like right in my ear and saying whatever this thing was and I woke up screaming and could not get back to sleep yeah I wouldn't it's awful 
Because normally when I dream, I don't actually hear anything. Mm -hmm. So whenever I hear something in a dream, like it's extremely distressing. Mm -hmm. And yeah, it was bananas and I did not appreciate it or like it. So yeah, I wouldn't have either. It was like one of those things where it was just like, <laughs> like it was, Whoa. it was really like, and, and obviously there were words, but I can't remember what the yeah. words were, but it was, it was terrifying. No, thank you. Yeah. No, ma'am. So on that note, what's something good you'd like to share yeah. this week? <laughs> something good. I get to see a couple of my favorite people on Saturday because Willie has to do one of his like quarterly grooms where he goes to the groomer and gets his little spa bath and she shaves his Muppet feet and trims his fur and makes him look all pretty. His groomer, Danita, is one of the most beautiful beings I've ever met. She's just like this angel baby. And so I always get really excited when I get to see her. And we usually make her run behind because we're always talking before and after I drop him off and pick him up. (laughs) So apologies in advance, Danita, for talking your air off on Saturday. But I also get to see one of my friends that night. We're going to stay with her so we don't have to drive super early to the cities in the morning. And we're both fully vaccinated and we're so careful. And I get to see... Erica. So hi, Erica, if you're listening. Yeah. I'm excited to see you soon. Yay. What about you? Mm, something good that I'm thinking about right this second is over the past weekend, we went up north to celebrate my sister-in-law's 40th birthday. Yeah. And I got a new office chair from her. Nice. And it's upholstered and it's really soft and it feels really good on my lower back. Nice. So I'm very thankful and grateful for that because prior to that, I was sitting in like the wooden rocking chair that used to be in the living room. Yep. I'm sitting on an exercise ball. And uh, always. I would always have to be very careful when I was sitting in it because every once in a while I would catch in the audio, like the creak of me, like moving in the rocking chair. That's not creepy at all. I know. I'm just like, damn it. Now it sounds like my house is possessed by a like rocking chair ghost. So that won't be an issue anymore. Yeah. So, yeah. You ready to roll? Mm-hmm. All right. You can find us online at yieldcrimepodcast.com. We're also on Twitter at yieldcrimepod and on Instagram at yieldcrimepodcast. We're on YouTube. You can find us by searching for Yield Crime Podcast. We also have a link in our show notes. We have a P.O. box in case you'd like to send us something. You can write to us at Yield Crime Podcast, P.O. Box 341, Wyoming, Minnesota, 55092. Mm-hmm. You can also email us. The week that this comes out will be the last week that we are accepting submissions for our 50th episode. So if you'd like to send us something, whether that's well wishes or questions that we, you'd like us to answer, or mm-hmm. maybe you want to tell us about how you found the show or what your favorite episode is, or just basically whatever. Yeah. Go ahead and email those to us and we will include them. A great way to support the show is to leave us a five-star rating and review. And an example of this is from A. McGuire from Apple Podcasts. And it says, beef tea. Oh, no. (laughs) Five stars. I could wax poetically about the research, the chemistry of the hosts, the unique subject matter, but really beef tea. It's an early episode for sure. Yeah, it is. Thank you very much for the (laughs) review. Yeah, thank you. 
If you'd like to support us financially, you can do so on Buy Me a Coffee. You could also join our Patreon for as low as a dollar a month, and that will get you ad-free access to pretty much our entire backlog and new log of episodes. Obviously, if you join at the higher tiers, you can get more benefits, such as is the case with our friends Rebecca and Aaron, who are at our five and ten tiers, respectively. Mm -hmm. They are enjoying some extra benefits that people at those tiers can enjoy, such as shout outs on the show. So shout out Rebecca and Aaron. You can also purchase some merch at our Tea Public store. There will be two sales coming up, so stay tuned next week when the next sale will be taking place. Awesome. And as always, I'm Lindsay. And I'm Madison. And we'll see you next time with another tale as old as crime. <laughs>